0: 2 John um, chapter 1 seems a little redundant to say. If you can find 2 John chapter 2, you will have made quite a discovery, and you'll have to share it with us. But 2 John, we're going to read verses 1 through 6 this morning. The elder Unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake, which dwells in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, You should walk in it. I want to start this morning by asking you to recall the circumstances toward the very end of the gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry. In the upper room in Jerusalem, on the evening of the last Passover, the Lord Jesus told his disciples that he was going away. And they asked him how they could know the way to follow him. And his response was, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus, our Savior, alone is the path to follow. He is the truth to know and the life to embrace. These three ideas, the way, the truth, and the life, are inseparable. You you cannot travel that way Without eternal life, you cannot have eternal life except by embracing the way of Jesus. And experiencing that life and traveling that way is only possible by experiencing the truth that is Christ himself. After being arrested and beaten that night, Jesus was taken before the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, but the theme of truth didn't change. As he stood before Pilate, this is what Jesus said to him. He said, to this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. The very reason I was born, he said, was to proclaim the truth. I came into this world to testify of the truth. And while those Jewish authorities wouldn't hear it, and Pilate himself was not going to hear it, everyone who is on the truth side will recognize the truth of Jesus. They'll hear my voice, Jesus said. They will rejoice in the truth. Pilate immediately proved Jesus right as being completely tone deaf to the truth. He questioned whether there even was such a thing. Pilate was only interested in moral relativity, right? Do you remember Pilate's sarcastic answer to Jesus? What is truth? Pilate's words were a denial, in essence, that there could be any such thing as truth. Could Pilate be right? I mean, maybe he was just a man 2,000 years ahead of his time. Doesn't the world we live in today insist that there's really no such thing as truth right you can tell someone that they need to be saved by repenting of their sins and trusting in Jesus Christ God's son and the response is oh that might be true for you but it's not true for me because truth is relative you can't know claim to know absolute truth well yes we can we can know the truth because we can know Jesus and Jesus is the truth. In speaking truth, Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is truth. Knowing him sets us free from the power of sin. I'll set you free from the wrath of God. It'll set you free from the darkness and deceit of the kingdoms in this world. That's the essence of what being a Christian means, It is it embracing the life-giving truth of God's salvation that can only be known through the person and work of Jesus Christ, his son. So we introduced this little postcard-sized letter last week. We tried to show how it's John's purpose to show how truth and love are inseparably linked with one another. Truth, when it is known, is going to be embraced in love. Love, when it is expressed, if it's going to be true love, it's going to be based in truth. Essentially, this letter can be broken down easily into two main sections. The second section from verse 7 through 13 is identifying and defending the truth. But today we're going to look at the first section, verses 1 through 6, which deals with loving and living in truth. Now for those of you who I know are diligently trying to make an outline of the letter, the, the first section of loving and living in truth could itself be broken down into two parts. Verses 1 through 3 is essentially loving the truth. Verses 4 through 6 is living in truth. You write that down if you want, but that's not how we're going to address it this morning. Since we dealt with a lot of the information of the text and the overview and summary last week, today I want to go through these first six verses and see seven vital characteristics of truth. We're just going to pull out some principles from these six verses and see seven vital characteristics of truth. First, The truth is knowable. This is what Pontius Pilate denied when he was uh, speaking to Jesus. What is truth was his sarcastic way of saying, well, there's no such thing as truth. To Pilate, truth was, was moldable to the moment. It changes by whatever happens to be expedient at the time. And yet there was Jesus insisting that his very purpose of coming into the world was to declare truth and that his people would recognize truth and that knowing truth, truth would set them free. The truth is knowable. Look at how John presents this in verse 1. Now we'll... We'll deal with sort of the first part of the verse in a, in a moment, but look how he ends verse one. He says, The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all they that have known the truth. The truth is knowable. The truth is definable. <laughs> truth is not some like ethereal nothingness that can't be grabbed a hold of. It's not like... like fog that that alters and, and gets perpetually redefined. It's knowable. And if the truth ever changes, then it wasn't really truth to begin with. The word truth is the Greek word aletheia, which carries the idea of genuine, trustworthy, verifiably real, or authentic. Many years ago, Christianity Today issued a poll that showed about three-fourths roughly 75 percent of the people that they read this statement to that here's the statement there is only one God who is holy and perfect and who created the world and rules it about 75 percent of the people said "I, I agree or strongly agree with that statement well that sounds great But the same poll showed that about 66% also agreed with the statement, there is no such thing as absolute truth. And it makes you wonder how someone could agree that there's no such thing as absolute truth and dare to agree with anything else. For the Apostle John, truth is is knowable it seems evident from the first verse he's expressing christian love in this letter right he speaks to the audiences whom i love in the truth and he assures the recipients that his love for them is not alone but that all christians who know the truth also love them now if that's right what john's saying about christians is that christians are one who've known the truth Let's not forget it's that same John who recorded the words of Jesus in his gospel that I am the way, the truth, and the life. For John, truth is knowable and it's knowable in the person and work of Jesus Christ who is the embodiment of all truth. And so here's the truth about Jesus that Christians know. We know He is the eternal son of God and the creator of all things. We know he was born of a virgin, becoming human, made like us in order to save us. We know he lived perfectly in all that he did, that he spoke honestly in all that he said. We know he was unjustly condemned to be crucified, and yet he willingly laid down his life as the price of salvation for those he loved. We know that as he shed his blood on the cross, he took our sin onto himself, bearing it before the father, absorbing the holy wrath of the father towards us sinners. We know that he rose from the grave, defeating death for his people, granting as a free gift of grace, eternal life to those who have faith in him. We know there is no salvation in anyone else. There is no way to come to the Father except by Him. And we know that all who repent of their sins and call on the name of the Lord, Scripture tells us they will be saved. Truth is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And truth can be known because He can be known. I don't want you to think that I'm putting words in John's mouth. Remember, this letter of 2 John is best understood as a follow up of his first letter. So just turn back. It might be the same page in your Bible or turn back a couple of pages. John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. This is how he starts to close out his letter. He says, and we know. That the Son of God has come and he's given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Truth is knowable. Truth is absolute. Truth is found in Jesus Christ alone. Second, I want you to see truth is expressible. The truth John's writing about can be displayed. It can be shown in practical ways. Last week, we talked about whether this letter was written to an actual woman and her children or whether it was to a church and its members. I still tend to think this is a corporate letter written to a church. But it's written to the elect lady. Either way, listen to how John begins. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. Whom I love in the truth. Love is truth put into action. Because of John's dedication to the truth, he expresses his love for this church, or maybe this individual, not as a way of saying, oh, I have these feelings of affection towards you, but in a way to say, I love you, love, the action of love. When you, when you look at the word love, or as it's often interpreted in the King James Version, charity, the way that it's used in the New Testament really gives definition to the word. The interesting thing about the word love is that it's really defined by Christianity. Perhaps as much as any other word, love is a Christian word. This is especially true in the original language that this is written in. The Greek language has lots of words to describe different aspects of love. It had the word eros, where we get our word erotic from. It means love based on sexual attraction. Obviously, the writers of the New Testament did not incorporate that word into their ideal of Christian love. There's the word phileo, which loosely means friendship. The idea there is affectionate regard. We, use, we find this word used many times in the New Testament, but by far not the majority of times. If you want an example of when it's used, for example, in, um, when Jesus stood before the tomb of his friend Lazarus and wept over his death, that is that phileo, that friendship is the description of Christ's love for him. I think phileo is is not a adequate use for Christian purposes of describing love because we're called to even love our enemies, people for whom we have no real affectionate regard. Greek also has the word storge, which isn't talked about much. It's essentially family love mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers sometimes even our weird cousins we have storge for one another this word is used once in the bible and it's actually in combination with phileo and in, in romans 12:10 paul says we're to be kindly affectioned toward one another and so christians do have family love because we're a family But when the apostles started recording the New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit, they had to write about love because love is truth put into action. None of those words seem to fit exactly the kind of love we're called to show when we know the truth of the gospel of Christ. So instead, there's this word in Greek that was... Seldom used outside of scripture. And and nobody really had preconceived notions about what it meant. So the New Testament writers picked up the word agape and ran with it. It can't be misconstrued like eros and used for immoral purposes. It has all the warmth and affection of phileo, friendship. And yet this agape love, it is not self-seeking, it is not self-promoting. At its root, the word has has the idea of to seek after or to prefer. You're seeking after someone else's good. You're preferring their good to your own. And as such, agape is love that goes beyond emotions and into action. It actually seeks the good for others. It's love that goes beyond the generic and into the specific. Agape makes distinctions, directing its actions toward the benefit of those that it freely chooses. It gets interpreted as charity many places in the New Testament. And that's a fair way to look at this word. It is love that unselfishly gives. One of the characteristics of this love is that it's honest because love is Truth displayed in action. So Paul told the Ephesians to speak the truth in love. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 13 that love rejoices in the truth. And John, in this little letter, he, he directs his love by saying, I love you in the truth. He assures those reading the letter that they're not only loved by him, but by all of those who know the truth. So first, truth is knowable, but truth is also expressible through love. Third, truth is accessible. You can not only know the truth and express the truth, you can possess the truth. Truth is more accessible, readily accessible than we imagine it to be. Look at verse 2. He says, For the truth's sake which dwells in us. Christians who know the truth express the truth because John describes they are indwelled by the truth. Now, I know, since y'all are a biblically literate bunch, you're asking, what does it mean that we're indwelled by the truth? I thought we were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Yep. Verse 2 really sounds like John is purposefully echoing the words of Jesus in in his gospel in John 14, 17, when Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to his disciples and says that it is in John 14, 17, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him, and he dwells in you and shall be in you. The Holy Spirit of God within a believer is the spirit of truth. We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of truth and we're brought to life and and to faith through his work. That spirit indwelling us assures us that we'll hear the truth, that we'll be set free by believing the truth, that we'll be secured in this life by internalizing the truth. He wrote back in 1 John 5, 6 that it's this Spirit that bears witness because he says the Spirit is truth. And by the way, it's no contradiction for Jesus to have said, I am the truth, and for John to say the Holy Spirit is the truth. Both are true. Truth is the divine attribute of every member of the Godhead. Truth, all truth, is Trinitarian truth. Truth comes from God the Father through revelation, and Jesus is that revelation. The Father's voice boomed down from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm pleased. Listen to him. The Father is truth, and he points us to the truth of Jesus. Truth comes from God the Son who promised his disciples. They would remember all the things that he taught them, trusting the Holy Spirit of truth to guide them. The Son is the truth and points to the truth of the Holy Spirit. Truth comes from the Holy Spirit who indwells us, guides us, confirms our faith, gives us assurance that we're reconciled to the Father. The Spirit is truth and points us to the truth of both the Father and the Son. Truth is God's truth. It's Father, Son, and Spirit truth. And so truth is as absolute as God himself. And now John says that truth is knowable, but it's more than just the facts you know. It's expressible, but it's more than just the love you show, It's the very fiber of your being so that it's not just something that you understand and something that you do. It's something that lives within the very nature of who you are because you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit of truth. Fourth, I want you to see truth is durable. At the end of verse 2, John says, This truth which indwells us shall be with us forever. This leads us to a couple of conclusions about the durable nature of truth. Don't get excited that I use the word conclusion there, though. First, if it's going to be with us forever, it means it's not changing. Second, it's also not leaving. If the truth were ever to change, it could not change for the better. Look, I I trust you all know simple math. One plus one equals... Not a trick question. Two. If suddenly first graders were to be taught that one plus one equals two and a half, well, that wouldn't be true. You could try to make it true. You could maybe incorporate it into every school curriculum. You could insert it onto every TV program. You could make villains of anybody who dared to say that one plus one equals two. You could even start a special month dedicated to the promotion of two and a half as the very pinnacle of bravery and truth. It wouldn't make it true. Mathematical truth does not change. Divine truth also does not change. It's knowable through acknowledging God through Jesus Christ and the the gospel. It's durable because Jesus then is the same yesterday and today and forever. If Jesus is the truth and he's always the same, the truth is durable. It's not altering. Listen, that's great news for us because Jesus is already Perfect. If you can tell me some way that Jesus could change for the better, then he wouldn't be perfect now. The chain-breaking freedom that's found through the truth of Jesus Christ is certain. It is inflexible. Truth is durable because it's not going to change. Truth is also durable in the sense that it's not going to leave. When John says in verses 1 and 2 that he loves the reader's, And other Christians love them too because of the truth that dwells in us and shall be with us forever. When you know the truth of the gospel through Jesus Christ, when you possess that truth and the indwelling of the spirit of truth, you are eternally secure in that truth. It's durable. Fifth, truth is enjoyable. Truth is something we experience through the work of God himself on our behalf. John's following this sort of customary way of writing a letter back from the first century. In the Greek-speaking world, a letter would begin by identifying who's writing, that's the elder, who's being written to, that's the elect lady and her children, and then would generally be followed by a salutation. And the, the common salutation in the first century was charion, greetings. It seems to become typical in Christian letters to change that charion to charis, grace. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. We've been arguing truth and love are inseparable. And now John shows us that truth and love are expressed through these three blessings of grace, mercy, and peace given to us to enjoy, all of which find their source in God alone. Grace is the expression of God's love. It's truth put into action, into love to give us the blessings that we do not deserve. Mercy is the expression of God's love in which he withholds the divine wrath that we do deserve. And peace is how we're, expresses how we're reconciled to God, no longer at odds with our creator because of the work of Jesus, his son, who has reconciled us. I think the most remarkable part of verse three is how John identifies the source of grace, mercy, and peace, and truth, and love. Look at verse three. It's from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. The repetition of the word from there is important. He's not saying that grace and mercy and peace come from the Father and then a little bit more or a little bit different grace, mercy and peace come from the Son. God the Father and God the Son are distinct from each other. So he identifies them In their distinction, in their roles, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. But while they're distinct, he also describes this as they're so united that grace and mercy and peace and truth and love all flow from them to us, to be enjoyed by us. This is truth you can enjoy. God, in the united purposes of the Father, Son, and Spirit, he is for us. Now, far from being a common introduction, John presents the the purposes of the triune God expressed in grace, mercy, and peace to be the display of God's own truth and love for us. These actions of God on our behalf, they're blessings for us to enjoy. The truth is enjoyable. Okay, this is where the first section of, of this part of our text slightly turns from loving the truth to living in the truth. And so we, we have to deal with two more vital consequences, uh, vital characteristics of the truth. The sixth is truth is teachable. Look at verse four. I rejoice greatly that I found of your children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. Now, how you understand verse 4 and verse 5 is going to depend on whether you've decided the, uh, the elect lady and her children is an actual woman and her kids, or the elect lady and the ch- her children are the, a church and its members. Again, I think church is probably the most likely. But my contention is going to be that either way, verse 4 teaches that truth is teachable. If this is a woman and her kids, then John is saying he has encountered some of her children and was glad to see that they were walking in truth just like God the Father has commanded. If this is a church and its members, John is saying he's encountered some of those members and was glad to see them walking in truth just like the Father commanded. Either way... These people John encountered had been taught the truth, whether by their mother who encouraged them through the word of God or elders in the church who had taught them the word of God. John was glad to see that they had been taught and were obedient to what they had been taught. For that matter, look at verse five and you'll see how John takes this principle that truth is teachable and he turns it on to the recipient of the letter. He says, now I beseech you, lady... Not as though I wrote a new commandment unto you, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. Again, note how truth and love are inseparable. John says his readers don't need some new truth dispensed to them. Right? I'm not writing a new commandment to you, which makes sense because some new truth would make the old truth incomplete and it wouldn't really have been true. What the reader needs is reminded of what they've already received, to love one another. That's the ancient truth of God's word and what God's word teaches us. When Jesus was asked to summarize the the commandments, the word of God, the summary that he used was love, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That is truth that is teachable. John was glad to see that the elect lady's children had been taught it. And now he encourages her to remember it herself with the end goal that it's going to be put into practice. Now, exactly how that is supposed to happen is something we'll look at when we get down to verses 10 and 11 later. But for now, truth is teachable. If it wasn't, why would John even bother writing this letter? Truth is knowable, expressible, accessible, durable, enjoyable, teachable and seventh the truth is obeyable verse 6. And this is love that we walk if after his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning you should walk in it. We've been stressing the words, truth and love, and I think that's the essence of John's letter, but I'd be remiss if I didn't point out a couple other words that he uses frequently, especially in verses four through six. You'll see the word walk three times and commandments four times. The commandments of the Lord Jesus, including especially the commandment to love, is the truth of God that Jesus came to reveal. Listen, God has not given his truth to us, his commandments, in such a way that he has left it up to us whether or not we intend to obey. He demands that we obey. That's what it means to walk in his commandments. It's to obey his commandments, to have a manner of life that follows his commandments. It would help if you, you pictured this like a sidewalk. There is this straight and narrow path of God's truth that he has laid out, that he has paved for us, his commandments and his word given to to guide us to follow along that path, to walk that path. We're not to ignore his commands because when we do that, it means we will have deviated from the path one way or the other. Instead, we're to maintain course, not straying to the left or to the right because the truth of God's commands are essentially, there is the kind of guide rails moving us forward. And Anytime we stray from that path, it's sin, rebellion, it's disloyalty to the very God who has bestowed grace, mercy, and peace on us and established us in truth and love. When you look at verse 6, what John is saying is that God has revealed his commandments and he's insisting on obedience and that obedience is an expression of our love for him. Truth is obeyable, not in a, a begrudging way, but in a loving way. John says, this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is a, it, obedience is an expression of our love for God. I like the way Daniel Akin summarized this. He said, you're expected to walk in the commands to love and love the commands in which you're walking. Ultimately, John presents truth as both doctrinal and practical and it's found in our beliefs and our behaviors. Truth is something that you know in your heart and mind through believing the gospel of Jesus. He is the embodiment of truth. Truth is something that you express in your behavior as you live for Jesus. Truth is accessible in the guidance of the Holy Spirit within you and the word of God that he has inspired for you. Truth is an everlasting experience in which we will be eternally with Jesus, the embodiment of truth. Truth is enjoyable through the reality of God's gifts of grace and mercy and peace that we embrace by faith in Jesus. It's teachable. You can express it to others as you tell them about Jesus and you can be taught through the word and truth is obeyable as you walk in God's commandments by, and express your love for him. As we know Jesus truly, the man who is himself, the embodiment of truth, the message of our text would be that we should go forward in loving him and living for him.